This episode of Landmine Radio is sponsored by Dittman Research. Do you know what the most valuable thing in the world is? High quality information. Because high quality information informs much better decision making. Dittman Research has been providing high quality information to Alaska's leading businesses, organizations, and campaigns for 50 years. Do you really know what Alaskans think about your company or your issue? How about your clients, your shareholders, or your employees? So stop fumbling around in the dark. Hire Dittman Research and find out what's really going on. DittmanResearch.com Okay, folks, very excited back here with uh, Mac McHale and Ariel Burr, (laughs) not Ariel. Correct. And you guys are with Quintillion, which uh, a lot of folks are aware is a pretty, pretty new telecom company in Alaska. So I'm excited to have a chat about what you guys are up to and the history of Quintillion. And obviously now with this infrastructure deal, it's uh, a lot of money for broadband, right? A lot of money out there for broadband. A lot of really interesting programs coming down, down the pike. Uh, the federal government, in particular, uh, they've launched a few. Uh, we've uh, we filed a number of uh, uh, for applications for various grants over the past couple of months, and we're uh, we're looking forward to the next round, which is coming out, which will be managed by pretty much by the state broadband office, which is you know being stood mm-hmm. up as, as we speak. And before we get into all that, let's talk a little bit about your your both of your background. Um, you know, you have a background in telecom, Mac, right? And you've been with uh, Quintillion for how long? I do. I've been I've been with Quintillion for three years. I've been in the telecom business for about 30 years. So I started out with IBM and then I went through sort of the kind of the ABCs of telecommunications companies with AT&T, MCI, XO Communications, et cetera, et cetera. And Ariel, you used to be with GCI, so. I did, yeah. You kind of crossed over. I did. I started at GCI in 2013. So I've been in the telecom industry for about eight years. And you're, you're with Quintillion, you're doing the government affairs business? Yeah, government programs and business development. So I'm taking a look at all the federal funding that's coming out and available and what kind of projects and opportunities we can use with that. I, mean, I don't have the number, but I know there's this huge number in that bill for uh, broadband in the country. It's in the, I think the billions, right? I mean, for the whole nationwide. Yeah. yeah. So Ariel will correct me, but I think it's in the 46. Ariel? Ariel. That's <laughs> so what I did. I do that all the time, but I do it on purpose just to get that response. I keep thinking of the mermaid. Right. Yeah. So there's uh, $42 billion set aside in the infrastructure package. And um, of that, it's supposed to be, I think, $111 million in uh, state block grants that will be going through the state of Alaska and that new uh, Alaska broadband office that the uh, governor's broadband task force is working on putting together right now. And then in addition to that, there's uh, they just announced the Reconnect program, round three. And that's exciting. You can apply for projects for up to $35 million. What's, what's Reconnect? I think it stands for Reconnectivity. I think it's a marketing name. It's, it it's, is. It's basically a program that's uh, sponsored by the USDA and a division of the USDA, which is the Rural, rural Utility Service. Mm-hmm. They, they traditionally provide grants and loans into rural areas all around the country. Their, uh, their history was really based in uh, the Rural Electrification Act, and they've kind of broadened that scope to include uh, uh, broadband propagation throughout the country. So, so talking a little bit about Quintillion, I remember I used to work in IT for a long time. And it was probably 10 years ago, I was talking to a, a smaller oil company, and there was a PowerPoint 
this is the first time I heard about Quintillion, and there was like a PowerPoint, and and there was this talk about laying a cable from it was like London to Tokyo, right? Over over the the Arctic, you know, as as I think it, at the time they were talking about for stock trading, and you know, you get milliseconds when you have these cables, yeah. Um, you know, for tr- for trades, but then they 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 made it aware there was going to be the possibility of this fiber optic, you know, technology for the slope, and that's kind of where I first heard about it. So Quintillion was has the idea has been around for for years. The idea has been around for years, and the vision remains the same. So the vision is to connect uh, Asia to Europe uh, through the North American Arctic. So phase one of our network, which is in place already, up and running, I think a lot of folks know, uh, you know, some some about that. Is uh, it it basically stretches from the Seward Peninsula up the Northwest Arctic and the North Slope, and stops in Nome, Kotzebue, Point Hope, Wainwright, Utkiavik, and then down into Aliktok Point, down to Prudhoe Bay. That's phase one of the network. So that was intended to be sort of the Arctic gateway between the two other continents that I just mentioned earlier, Asia, Asia and Europe. Mm-hmm. So we're also, we're continuing to work on those projects and, uh, and realize that, that long-term vision, because you're, you're right, the, uh, the high-frequency traders who are operating on milliseconds are looking for the lowest latency routes. There's that book, Flash Boys, Michael Lewis book about, about these cables they used to do between Chicago and New York, and they were charging like ungodly amounts of money uh, for that. Well, that was, a, that was a big one, and, and the competition for that was microwave networks, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And uh, they, they had uh, uh, some better characteristics on, on microwave for those high-frequency traders across a terrestrial you know, shot that was you know, 1,000 miles, 2,000 miles, that kind of thing. I think, I think a lot of people in Alaska are aware of this, but may, maybe some still aren't. There, there's all these cables all over the world. We have cables that go to Seattle from, from Alaska. They're, you know, they're all over the world. There's these deep-sea cables that get buried and and that's how that's how internet is able to get to a lot of these. I think there's cables like there's these deep cables Australia and you know for Indonesia and New Zealand. I mean there's all these like and they're they're at the bottom of the ocean floor, right? No, it's it's amazing. There there are I mean there's it's it's beyond dozens. There's hundreds of cables, and you know the the origination and termination points are they're very they vary all over the globe. So what's unique about what we've done in Alaska is the 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 network. You know as I mentioned, Nome all the way over to through the North Slope is um is buried is buried beneath the the seafloor so on the on the trunk line is buried like 12 feet below the seafloor and on the landings where the where the cable comes in from from deep water into the shore into our cable landing station in some cases it's buried 80 to 90 feet below the seafloor and as the as to uh sort of a preventative maintenance measure mm-hmm. or you know you don't want to get hooked on a you know uh, an anchor or a fishing trawler, or ice scour, other other. Uh, yeah, I've seen these boats. They use these to drop the cable. They're, yeah, that's pretty... what I was gonna say. the The images of the boats going and dropping the cable are pretty incredible. The icebreaker ships and and all that it takes to install the subsea cable. It's fascinating. So, so is the eventual plan like you're talking about? Is it to go to Europe and then over to Asia? Yeah. Let me let me let me give you a kind of a quick snapshot of our overall strategy. You know, put it all into perspective for you. So we call it the in, out, and up strategy. So the in is kind of the most important part, which is we're connecting Alaskans to other Alaskans. We're connecting Alaskans to the rest of the world. So we're trying to bring rural broadband into um, you know remote areas or rural areas throughout Alaska. So you know we land in Nome, Kotzebue, Point Hope, Wainwright, Yukiavik, and from there we partner with. Uh, various companies that are, you know, telco type companies, cable companies that have local infrastructure 
to the home, to the business. We provide a, a wholesale broadband pipe to those companies, and then they, they distribute it over their local so infrastructure. So you, you guys aren't selling uh, residential or business. You're, you're not selling direct to the consumer. You're more wholesaling the capacity. Yeah, we're wholesaling yeah, the capacity. Yeah, so I like to use the analogy of the road system for telecommunications. So if you think about, like, the highways or the interstates, Quintillion oh. provides that big pipe, the big highway. And then we, co- we connect to the local providers that have the side streets and the neighborhoods that get to the end user's home. Great example. Yep. So what's the so, so that's that's the in that's the in aspect of the strategy, and we're you know we're tapping into the federal grants for some of that. So so we're able to you know now now push uh, the in, in our case fiber optics or microwave uh, further deeper into the interior of Alaska. That's the in part of the strategy. The out part of the strategy is to you know again utilize that gateway that Arctic gateway to connect to Asia and to Europe across the north north uh, pardon me North American Arctic which will result in a lowest latency route between those, those three continents. There's, there's, there's no other system out there on the planet that would even come close to that in, so, terms, so of, by, in terms of latencies. By plugging into to those connections in Europe and Asia, I mean, they, they, they have super fast internet. Would you be tapping into those existing fiber optic connections? We'll, we'll, we'll land each of those, each of those connections at, uh, you know, major internet uh, points of presence uh, in Japan for example, and then uh, you know our our, uh, our connection on the uh, lower forty eight would be in uh, Ocean Shores in Washington, and you know like I said we'll we'll connect to an internet point of presence where you have virtually every carrier uh, you know in the in the country, uh, Pan Asia and the U S all in one place where you can now you can now now you're actually connecting the continents with a with a massive broadband pipe. I mean, some of these uh, some of these connections go up to eighteen terabits on a fiber, on a single fiber. Damn, yeah. that's fast. Yeah. Watching those Netflix movies. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it seems, you know, in rural Alaska, you could probably talk Earl more about this, some of the challenges of connectivity, you know, throughout the years, we know about that. But but now it seems like whether it's T V, streaming, I mean so much is going I think even GCI is now getting out of the regular cable box deal and they're going to be going more to, you know, streaming. So everybody needs internet to to more and more increasingly to be able to do things. Absolutely. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has certainly highlighted the, uh, the need for broadband access. You know, one day last year, we all went home and had to work from home and do school from home and do telehealth from home. And, you know, I think the government is realizing that without uh, quality access to broadband, you know, those opportunities aren't available to everyone. And um, so that's that's what we're trying to do is make sure that we can increase access for more people so that, you know, they have the same opportunities as everybody else in the lower 48. I think one of the questions that's been raised, I mean, I've spent a lot of time over in Europe and Asia and other countries and, you know, internet's always, sometimes you go to these places and they have little free Wi-Fi that's like fast. And in other countries, Internet's kind of treated like a utility, but in the United States, it's really it's not as much a utility, is it? Well, it, it's moving in that direction for sure. I mean, I think everybody's looking at it as an essential uh, uh, tool. I mean, it's an essential aspect of everyday life. I mean, that's how folks communicate. So we're seeing that more and more. And I've been involved in in delivering uh, broadband to rural areas throughout the country for the last you know two decades, uh, and and tapping into some of the federal grant programs that you see today. And we've been doing that, you know, you know pretty much in all 50 states. 
Uh, Alaska is just very unique in that the size of Alaska. I mean, it's two times the size of Texas with a lesser population than Rhode Island. So you've got and some, no roads in between most right. of the communities. Well, and this is the utility aspect. I mean, there's, you know, with phones, for example, that's a utility. So the government recognizes, look, if, if 10 million people live in a city, it's worth it to spend the money to get the customers. But if, if 100 people or 500 people live in some place that's 1,000 miles from the road system, well, there's not always going to be the economic incentive to... Right. And this is all, not just Alaska, but there's other parts of the country where it's very rural and there's there's no profit motive really because there's not enough people to exactly. justify the, the expense yeah that's one of the problems in the telecom industry in the landscape in alaska is that the vast distances the extreme weather um you know a multitude of factors that go into it combined with having a really small population makes it hard for a business case to be supported without some sort of federal assistance for that capital um, to make it, you know, worth it for private businesses to expand and, and bring more access to people. And I think it is, you know, like Max said, it is heading towards becoming a utility because, you know, USDA used to do the, or rural utility service used to do the rural electrification program, and this is very similar to that. So um, I think I wanted to ask you one of the, the big things I think a lot of people heard about Quintillion a couple of years ago with this uh, this Elizabeth Pierce lady and and there was some i don't know issues with contracting and it seemed like at the time that was pretty bad but you you guys have it seems moved past that and are are, are growing yeah, what, what, can yeah. you talk a little bit about what happened with her and what that was about yeah sure again I, I i love that question i i, I like to bring it up but i had to, had no, to ask that no one. i mean i love i mean i love to shoot the elephant in the room right away on that one so i mean that's a it's a uh valid question um so let's let's Right into the mic too. Just yeah, sorry. sorry about that. So you know, going going back a few years ago, I mean, uh, our former CEO did get involved in some some uh, activity that was uh, unlawful, and uh, our investor who pays pretty close attention to what's going on uh, here. They uh, they suspected, they investigated, uh, they uh, they determined there was some some fraudulent activity going on, and they turned the case over to the DOJ immediately, which the DOJ took over. And I think it was uh, June of 2019, uh, she was uh, convicted and sentenced, and uh, she's doing five years um, with... Uh, and this had to do with kind of con- like making up contracts? Yeah, or? it was, it was, I mean, she defrauded the investors, and essentially it was uh, fake revenue contracts and forged signatures was essentially the, the issues. So, and that, so what, what the investor did right away, I mean, they obviously self-reported and, uh, and turned the case over, immediately went out and sought a uh, kind of a troubleshooting CEO uh, to come in and, and, uh, and right the ship, so to speak, renegotiate all the contracts, kind of start everything from, from anew uh, and, and uh, you know, put all of the, uh, all the spurious, of, uh, you know, in, inaccurate, fraudulent contracts, you know, behind us. And so we've done that. We, uh, you know, we continue to hold ourselves accountable to that. We, we, uh, we like to think we're very transparent with everything we do. Um, you know, like I said, all of those contracts have been renegotiated, re-upped, re-signed, fresh ink. Uh, everybody knows, you know, what they're getting, what they're paying for it and so on and so forth. So we're, uh, you know, I think what's really, really interesting about the whole thing is the investor is committed, right? So we, we, we have several investors, you know, there's, Alaska Native Corps and Alaskan individuals, but our main investor is a private equity firm in New York. And, uh, you know, they stood behind the, uh, the project 
uh, there were 270 to 300 million into the project and uh, have, have stuck with it and, you know, stood behind the current management team, which I'm a part of. I've been, I've been with the company for about three years and, uh, and, you know, we're, we're off and running and, and I think doing good things uh, in each of our markets with all of our partners. And we, uh, we, you know, we keep everything above board, transparent. And, uh, and George, George Strouser, who's the CEO, he and I talk with our, uh, our investors. We meet with them every two weeks. That's, you know, an informal discussion. Matter of fact, I had, uh, had that call today. And then, we, you know, we do quarterly board meetings and so on. And, and we keep a close eye on uh, what's going in, what's going out. Yeah, it seems like when when the first news came out, I remember seeing it and thinking like, "Wow, that's one of those one of those stories." But it it, it seems you guys like go into the website. There's growth. There's growth. There's there's a bunch of you know kind of leadership positions, and there's kind of the the day to day folks. That there's are, there's there's really interesting developments going on. You know, we're we're trying to spend more time doing than talking, which you know we, we probably have to kind of balance that a little bit more. Uh, one of the one of the major noteworthy things that we've done, we've just recently signed the National Security Agreement, which basically holds us accountable to the U.S. government. That says your network operations, maintenance, uh, all of your routines, your security, everything is at a heightened level. Uh, because we, we are doing business with the U.S. government, and we're con- going to continue to do more and more. Weren't you guys, I heard, weren't you building something up in Barrow or some? some um, yeah, I was I was actually in the, in, in the middle of going through my in, out, and up right, spiel. Right, yeah, right. And I got stool. Yeah, and I got cut off on the up. Uh, <laughs> I think that was Ariel did that. Oh, maybe, probably. <laughs> it, was probably it was probably yeah. me. Guilty. Yeah. So, yeah. Go the, back and the, listen. It was probably me. The up part of the, uh, of the strategy is connecting to space. So we did, we, we have built out a, uh, a ground station operation in Yukiavik. What's really cool and unique about that is it's at 72 degrees latitude, which is a fairly high, high mm-hmm. latitude. Um, it's on U.S. soil, obviously, and it's connected with fiber. And why I bring those things up is if, if you're familiar with a major ground station operation in Norway called Svalbard Island, uh, oh, yeah. which is a multinational kind of an installation, under uh, Norwegian sovereignty, and there's uh, they started out. They're probably four decades old, and uh, up until mid mid two thousands, they were they were operating maybe six ground station antennas, and in two thousand seven they exploded, and now they're now they're now they're I think they're probably one hundred and ten or one hundred and twenty antennas on Svalbard Island. So these these connect to the satellites. They connect they, to the satellites. They so get information. I'll, or they I'll come to that in a second. I want to. But the, the, the reason why they grew from six locations or six antennas to 110 or 120 is when they got fiber. And everyone said, okay, we have polar orbiting satellites that are going around the Earth and they're looking at, they're looking at they're doing remote sensing, Earth observation, climate management, dumping that data down to uh, uh, Svalbard Island and then you know, getting it off on fiber to the uh, mainland Norway and then uh, down into the internet. So we're looking at, we're looking at Yukiavik being kind of a, I don't want to call it a mini Svalbard because I'd like for it to be something that eclipses Svalbard, but we, you know, we'll start off slow. And, and again, the, the, the thing we have going for us is we have the high latitude. We have U.S. soil, which should be important to you know, U.S. government, military, our allies. And, uh, and, we're, and we have fiber today. Uh, which is which is again what uh, what really triggered that connection that vectoring of space and data coming from a space to terrestrial networks and you know onto the main world wide web. So that's 
already built or that's being being built? It's already built. It's already built. So uh, again, that's where we've we've been spending time doing as opposed to talking about it. Uh, we probably should do more talking about it, but we built it uh, along with a partner called Atlas Space Operations. Uh, we have our first antenna. It's an SNX band antenna. It's about three three and a half meters. Uh, we we finished that installation in January of 2021. We went live with commercial traffic in February of 2021, and we've been been operating ever since. We we are in the process right now. I wish I wish it was more advanced, and I could tell you some names because I think you'd be interested in that. But we have a couple of other uh, customers lined up that are kind of household names that are going to uh, go ahead and install with us at that at that ground at that ground station. Uh, space as well for the reasons I just mentioned. Again, U.S. soil, fiber, and high latitude. So, are there other parts of the world that are doing it besides Svalbard? Are there other stations? Svalbard there? is the major is the major one. They're you know they're at seventy eight degrees latitude. So the reason why high latitude is so important is because as the polar orbit satellites go around the Earth, you can you can that, that happens about fourteen times a day. So it's about a hundred minutes per uh, you know revolution around around the Earth, and you want to be able to see as many of those passes as possible so mm-hmm. you can take data when you you know when you see that polar orbiting satellite so there are other installations you know there's uh, there's one in canada uh, the a, russians have one I bet they have one you know i think they i think they'd like to think that Svalbard is theirs is <laughs> is my take i mean i think and it was there was an article out today in satellite news about norway and russia trying to kind of bring their uh security um uh, strategies and programs together and, and work closer. So that, I mean, that should give everyone pause. I haven't, watched, I haven't watched this, but I heard there's a, somebody recommended this new, it's like a Netflix show. Have you heard about this? It's, it's like the Russians, there's some oil issue and the, it's like a, it's a fictional show, but the, the Russians basically install a friendly government in Norway after there's some like big shakeup. Hmm. It's a, I haven't watched it yet, but it was my, my buddy Bryce recommended it. Ah. It's supposed to be a really good show. We may have to look at that. Yeah, yeah. there's yeah. some like oil issue, and there's some yeah. like shakeup, and then the Russians install a government, and then there's this whole show about it. So yeah. maybe interesting. I'll, maybe I'll check it out now after. after this. Well, I mean, we'd li- we'd like to position ourselves as an alternative to Svalbard. You know, they you know they're they're decades of, uh, out, out in front of us, uh, but you know we're we're quick learners, and we, we do have the natural. Uh, advantages and and attributes that that can make uh, an installation like that very successful. So, we're looking forward to that. We look at we look at that as a you know growth aspect of the business. So that kind of the, the you know the, the crowning point on the in out and up strategy. Yeah. We think uh, you know when you when you think about how do you how do you drive the economics of a fiber network in Alaska? Well, you have to bring more capacity to that network, and what better place to do it than from space if you can bring Polar orbit satellite data, you know, crossing the poles from space down to the terrestrial network at a high latitude location in Alaska. Mm, that's 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 just pretty cool stuff, and that now will start to really occupy uh, capacity on our network, which will give us an opportunity to, you know, be more aggressive in pushing, you know, uh, broadband into even more uh, rural areas mm-hmm. throughout Alaska. Um, Earl, I wanted to ask you, you, you were a long time with GCI, so you're familiar with kind of the rural issues. With this new infrastructure money, what, what do you, I guess, what do you think things could look like in rural Alaska when it comes to internet in the next, I don't know, five years? or? Yeah, definitely. The amount of money that's coming into Alaska is, you know, once in a lifetime uh, investment in infrastructure. So I think we're going to see some significant changes. We're going to see 
more middle mile expansion, hopefully, you know, expanding last mile connectivity to people's homes so that, you know, more people have access to fiber um, or microwave or satellite, whatever is able to access them. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I think I think we have to be able to add on to that a little bit because I think we have to be smart as a as a state. I mean, I, I think we also have to be cognizant of the fact that you know there are there are uh, there are technology biases out there, and uh, you know the way we look at technology, whether it's fiber, whether it's microwave, satellite, uh, you know, a can, two cans and a string, they all have their applications, right? They're all they all make sense in some areas, right? You know, f- when you when you need very very high capacity, um, you know fiber is a great choice. Uh, when you need to you know seed a market or move into a market quickly, and you don't have the you don't have the economics to really justify it, maybe a microwave connection, you know, a point to point from one antenna to another uh, can can satisfy that. And there's some of the some of the areas around the state where satellite is a perfect. A solution as well when you're in a very remote area where you know connectivity with fiber with microwave with other things is not possible satellites are perfect satellite does get more expensive right uh well it depends on you know who you're using i mean there's there's you know there's various players out there now i mean one web is starting to launch into commercial service spacex is behind that and there's uh, you know there's others uh telesat intelsat and so on that are out there already usenet um that you know there are, are, are the already, that's one that I think a lot of folks yeah yeah and I mean the, the, the technology is not that's not that's not super advanced technology you're not going to get you're not going to get a gig to the home you're not going to get 100 megs to the home uh, for the most part but if it's if it's a lifeline that might be a good thing as well so so we we try not to you know uh, uh, you know if you're only tool is a hammer everything looks like a nail right we're, we're not we're not in that in that uh, category so you know although we operate fiber we also operate microwave and we also have a uh, a resell and a partnership agreement with OneWeb to sell their services as well so we're looking at if we're if we're going to bring services to a uh, uh, you know a school a library uh, or a set of schools you know we'd like we'd like to be able to do that 100 percent and not be able to, you know, pick off one location and say we can do that because we have fiber there and the rest of it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. We'd rather do fiber, microwave, and satellite and provide a, a turnkey solution. So is a long-term plan for Quintillion to, to be more of an end-user seller or is it to focus on the the, the more wholesale aspect? No, the, the plan is to continue to be wholesale, uh, the wholesale aspect. But we will we will look at things like for the U.S. government, if there's, a, if there's an application that requires us to be direct and a contract stipulates that we'll do that. But for right now, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't anticipate us, you know, looking at going to the home and knocking on doors to, you know, sell internet services. We're going to, we're going to do that through our partners like ACS and Aztec and GCI, Tell Alaska, and uh, who'd I leave out? DRS. Yep. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, we pretty much, pretty much, you know, have good relationships and, uh, you know, good, uh, good working contracts with each of them. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's um, we get spoiled here in Anchorage. I mean, I got my house and my business. I sign up and you get, you know, 500 or gigabit speed. And um, this, this, this new infrastructure bill, I think it's going to be really fascinating how that, how that impacts and changes kind of rule. And not even, I mean, even we say rule, but there's even some, some of the larger towns still have issues with, with cost and speeds. 
Yeah, absolutely. I remember having a conversation with the uh, director of imaging at Samuel Simmons Hospital in Barrow. And, you know, she's talking to me about you know, diagnostic imaging is not advanced medicine. It's it's typical these days. Gone are the days of film. So we take x-rays and those are large data sets and we need capacity to be able to send those files on to doctors that can read them and provide diagnostics and treatment. And, uh, you know, I think they also have a program where they have some portable x-ray machines out in the villages. So people can actually go and get an x-ray in their community. They don't have to fly to Barrow or fly to Anchorage, which is great. I think one of the people told us that a round-trip ticket from Kaktovik to Barrow is more expensive than a round-trip ticket from Barrow to Maui. I know some of those tickets. I've I've looked at taking some trips before to roll just to for stories, and you start looking at the you, you, you're like this isn't right. This is like a thousand dollars round trip to yeah, some. Right, right. And you mentioned earlier with COVID and the telehealth and how much how much that's kind of sped up in the last couple of year year and a half, and how people can you know do a lot of these things from from their internet with a webcam with a doctor, and they've even changed some of the, the laws recently about allowing more to happen over over the internet, you know, through video that having to go in person, which. Yeah. I think another really great success story is the telepsych services that they're offering in the North slope because, you know, suicide is such a big deal and issue up here in Alaska. And to be able to have telehealth services where you can talk to a psychiatrist right away, it can take off, you know, hours or days to have to wait for an appointment, especially if it's somebody that's in crisis in that moment. So it's it's pretty incredible what increased access to the internet can do and to I, impact people's lives. I look at Zoom. I've gotten to be kind of somewhat of a, of a Zoom guru here in the last year and a half. And I started a book club a year ago. And we have this book club now. And we have a lot of people in Alaska, but a lot of them travel or they go different places. So we have our every month our book club and it's on Zoom. And we have, you know, t- some of them are in smaller towns or places, but we can all meet and talk. Yeah. Where, where before that was, it was always possible, but now it seems to be so much more common well I, I i was thinking the same thing as you were bringing that up i mean um two years ago zoom was available i just i kind of avoided it you know it always seemed like i would do something that screwed it up and and the video wouldn't happen or i wouldn't be able to turn the voice mm-hmm. but you know, you're forced to use it then you get really actually pretty good at it and now it's kind of hard to live without so i think everybody's really got some muscle memory now on on, on using video conferencing and people do it I all think the, the kids these days are probably better at Zoom than most of their parents. Yep. Well, we, uh, there was all this, when the school stuff started, you know, there was a couple of those funny, remember those Zoom Zoom bombs that were happening? Oh, yeah. There was one, actually, the best, the, well, the, the best, but maybe the funniest, there was the, the this is a year ago or more, the Kenai Peninsula Borough Assembly. You remember this? Somebody got up with. They had a meeting, a real prof- they had a real meeting going on, and somebody Zoom bombed it with like, like Russian gay porn. <laughs> and, 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 and it was like, it was like five seconds, but you can, my friend Kelly Cooper used to be the president of the board. You just see everyone's face in the zoom thing because recorded. Right. Yeah. Right. And they just right. kind of go like, what the hell? It, like it was, someone just jumped into the meeting and shared their screen. Yeah. It was oh like a zoom goodness. bomb, you know, when he, so yeah. people have become more aware of like the securities and how to like let somebody enter. But it was like the, the looks on their faces were like priceless. It was, yeah. it, was it was raw. <laughs> Uh, I, I I didn't have anything that colorful, but I had, <laughs> had somebody that was uh, in a you know suit and tie on top. 
Oh, they and, stood up. And and they stood up, and they're in their boxer shorts. Yep. So yeah, that was funny too. There, there was there was another one where this this kid was in, I think it was a school. It was a student, and he had um, he had created like a a picture of himself on a on a he had printed on a board, so he put it in front of his computer, and it looked like he was just sitting there, and and the fucking thing fell over, and he was in his in the background on his couch like in his boxers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. They, they busted him. So there is there is two sides to the you know the benefits of that I suppose. Right? I prefer meeting in person. I mean I really prefer and I yeah. I kind of hate now now some even our I mean my condo board and our property manager they they just pretty much want to keep it always on Zoom you know and I, I prefer in person but yeah. I think some people prefer not in person so now it's well in person is always great I mean there's the 3D aspect of it there's the you know there's no delay in in responses you can pick up body language and things like that. So mm-hmm. I'd always, I'm, I'm with you. I prefer the in person, but uh, you can pour some drinks too. If you can do that. Yeah. Yeah. But, you but know. for people in rural Alaska that need to connect with someone that's not in their community, zoom is a great platform that's to do that. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Or any of the other video platforms. Way to bring us back to reality. <laughs> Ariel, thank you. So what's it like? So you were a GCI for a long time. Now they're big, you know, but, uh, is quite a bit smaller. Is there, it's still telecom, but is it, yeah, how's it different? It's very different. Yeah. So I worked at GCI for about seven years and they have over 2000 employees and I came to Quintillion and we are a team of 12 and, uh, a lot different. Yeah. It's a lot different. It's good. It's good. I feel like I have a lot more, um, creative liberty and freedom and I love working with Mac. He's a great guy, you know, I had some of the same similar concerns and questions about Elizabeth when I first started. And in my interview, I asked the same question. <laughs> that's, he, the, that's the big one. <laughs> he told me the exact same answer that he told you guys today. And that really put most of my fears at ease and just, you know, jumped in. And it has been great. I'm so glad I made this decision. So where, where do you guys see yourselves in the next, you know, three to five years? Well, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue to push in. We're going to continue to, you know, propagate throughout Alaska. That's our main, our main uh and priority objective. Uh, we're going to connect the continents. We're going to connect Asia to Europe through the North, North American Arctic. Um, and we are going to crack the code on space. And we're going to, you know, we're going to create Alaska as that, uh, as that focal point for everything coming through, uh, you know, that, uh, North American Arctic fiber network. So the, the, those are the, those are the big, big ticket items. You know, I think you'll see, you'll see us doing a lot, um, with, uh, with, with government, with military, um, you know, on the national security side, um, and national defense, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, the early warning system is completely outdated, um, uh, up on the, uh, on the coast yeah. and, and we're, we're capable of, of, um, of modernizing that today. We, we so, keep saying, no, I mean, this has been going on for, it's not, not new, but it seems to be maybe a little more, a little more common as, as the, the Russians and we do it too, but you know, they get into that middle zone yeah. with those bombers and it, I think it's been going on since the Cold War, but yeah. every time it happens, you kind of think like, "Oh, geez." Well, we, you know, we have uh, we have a couple of um, retired four-star generals on our board. Yeah, I saw that on your the advisors yeah. and yeah, yeah. J.C. Campbell, um, who, who uh, ran NATO forces in Iraq and Afghanistan in the mid 2010s, and uh, Chuck Jacoby, who actually uh, headed up uh, Alcom as well as um, NORAD, and was the only Army officer ever, I think, to to uh, uh, to command at NORAD. So, uh, they're, they're great. They're involved with this, you know, day to day. Uh, we typically see uh, general Campbell once a month in DC. Um, general Jacoby, we're, we're probably four or five times a month. We're on a, we're on a zoom call, 
uh, with him for one reason or another. And uh, they've been great support you know, helping us figure out how to maneuver through the halls of the Pentagon and, and so on and, and you know, talk to the right people. The challenge, the challenge with our government is complex, right? So trying to find who's got a need, who's got a budget, and who's got the decision and vectoring those three things is a bit of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So they've been very helpful with that. And, you know, we're, we're just, uh, we're focused on making that happen. And, and, you know, again, the national security g- agreement is a testament to that. That's, that's not something everyone just does. I mean, it's, that's a high level of scrutiny. There's a high level of, of, uh, uh, expertise and care that goes into everything you do on the network, everything you do around your network, you know, from a security standpoint, uh, and so on. I mentioned Russia before, kind of as, as the international um, issue, but also Russia has rural issues and they have oil and gas. Would there, was there ever been any conversations about doing anything with that line? No, you know, the, the, the uh, there, was a, there was a group out there that uh, we met a couple of years ago. Uh, they called themselves Cinea Networks, and they've just recently folded up. They were looking at doing a uh, uh, an Arctic network like we're like we're doing only uh, you know along the Russian coast, um, and like I said, they, they you know they approached us to you know talk about partnership agreements, but that was a short conversation that didn't go anywhere, and uh, and now like I said, they've just they just wrapped up. So I'm not sure what whether that was lack of investment or lack of interest or both. I, I don't know, but you know we're we're we feel like we're in a race right now, so we're we're really pushing. And the uh, on the international expansion, and you know, hopefully we'll have we'll have things to announce very shortly. What about Canada? I mean, they they similar Arctic and yeah, and, and, and you know, we're we're actually George and I will be at uh, uh, we'll be in Colorado Springs with uh, with Northcom and NORAD next week, and you know, we're talking about those those types of things as well. So, you know, having the, the joint commands is uh, is you know, is pretty important, and General Jacoby brings that perspective. Uh, to the table for us. So he, you know, he's, uh, he is a, a pro Canada guy, not, not to the detriment of pro USA, <laughs> but he, you know, he, he, uh, he's in favor of us working together in a lot of different areas. So he, you know, he brings that together for us. So last thing I'll ask, Ar- I'll ask Ariel about that infrastructure. So has that money been, is it, spent yet has it been allocated yet or is it are they still trying to figure out who's going to get it when so a little bit of both there's some programs that have been announced and then there's the um reconciliation package that is yet to be voted on and within that package there's uh, a big chunk of money that's allocated to the states for block grants Um, they've also included another two billion dollars for the tribal broadband connectivity program um, there's connecting minority communities and reconnect and lots and lots of programs. It's a really exciting time to be in telecom. So if folks want to learn more about Quintillion. There's the website. I guess that's probably the best place to look. Website is a, uh, you know, we just, we just launched a new one. What was that? Maybe a month ago. Yep. Did that? Yeah. I was on the earlier check, checking it out. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it's been in development for a little while. Uh, we had, uh, previously retained a uh, marketing firm in, uh, in DC, our thought process there was we were going to be doing a lot of work with the government and military, and it made sense to have that DC perspective. But what we lacked there, you know, they were great, great people, competent, but really having the Alaska focus is, you know, that's what we view as our bread and butter. So we've, uh, we retained Grace and, and, uh, uh, and Beacon. Hi, Grace. Yeah, Grace is over there. Yeah. That's my good buddy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, keeping our focus on, um, on Alaska. Well, I appreciate you guys coming in and, and talking. And I, I think there's going to be a lot more 
news about you know telecom and broadband here and this money. So I think there's probably going to yeah, be. We'll keep you posted on announcements. I mean, there's always always things that are coming down the pike, and you know, some are newsworthy and some are some are yawners. But uh, we'll let you be the judge of that, and we'll like I said, we'll keep you posted. And our new website is www.quintillionglobal.com. Oh, global. Well, she has a voice for radio. I know. I was going to say, wow. that sounds great when the yeah, headphones are. Yeah. Nice Have you guys just started a Quintillion podcast? Yeah. Hosted by Ariel Burr. <laughs> well, thanks for coming in. I know you guys are busy, but I, I appreciate the conversation, and we'll do it again sometime. Oh, you're welcome. Thank yeah, you for having thanks, us. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Mac and Ariel, thanks. And, and Grace, thanks for setting that up. All right. Uh, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and... Stay tuned for the next one. Landline.